Now, I think most people would say, well, God is deeply religious and Satan is not. Most people would say, including religious people, they would say, well, okay, Satan is evil. He is scary. They would think of the occult, uh, maybe a Ouija board, maybe a seance, maybe a Harry Potter book, a horror movie. They would think of Halloween. They would think of ghosts. They would think of a cemetery on a dark night. It's very scary. They would think of a snake when they think of Satan. That maybe a being in a red body stocking and, and pitchfork. And, you know, they, all the illusions that people have about Satan. Often the world's view of Satan and many religious people's view of Satan is just that. It is, it is the things I've just listed, the occult, uh, seances, Harry Potter book, all that is how they would identify the works of Satan. And yet, in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 11, it says, there's a warning. It says, lest Satan should get advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, I want you to understand something. All of these things I've just went through are just a diversion that keeps people from the awareness that Satan is the most deeply religious being you will ever encounter. In other words, if you're always looking at the diversion, you're looking at the evil things in society, you're looking at the scary, the occult, the Ouija board, seances, Harry Potter books, horror movies, extras, Halloween, ghosts, cemeteries, snake. If you're always looking at the diversions, you will never identify how Satan truly works. Is That Really in the Bible presents the teaching ministry of David Freeman. Uh, you you got to look at the fact, you got to wrap your mind around the fact that he is a deeply religious being. Now, how do people overlook this is the question. How do religious people overlook this? Well, in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 13, it says, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no marvel, in other words, this shouldn't shake you up, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Continuing on, verse 15, therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers, Satan obviously has ministers that does his bidding, that does his work. Now, how do these ministers come across? They, be, they are transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Yeah, they, they talk about God. These, these ministers of Satan that are transformed, they talk about God, they talk about religion, they talk about doing the right thing. They are deeply religious, yes. Now, if I could show you a picture of, of an angel, you know, you, you would have this concept of what an angel looks like yet if satan ever appears at your bedside this verse tells us he will look like an angel of light you know you will say well i must be in church this is a deeply religious experience that i am having here i am seeing an angel b beside my bedside and he's telling me things you know and 
you know, I've known people who have had a deeply religious experience. And how would you know what side that experience came from? In other words, did this experience come from God or did it come from a satanic power that gave them this deeply religious experience? How would you know? How would you know the difference? Well, the first question I would ask is, well, do you have the Spirit of God? In other words, if a person is telling me they had this deeply religious experience, I would ask, do you have the Holy Spirit of God, or are you just a novice? Uh, Is this person's doctrines grounded in the Word of God? Often these people who have deeply religious experience, are it's an emotional thing. It's purely raw emotions, and they don't even have a doctrine or belief systems. And if they do have a doctrine or a belief system, it doesn't even come close to the word of God. Now, I truly believe that the devil plays with insincere Christians all the time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, why not throw them a bone every now and then? You know, you got this dog digging holes in the yard. Why not throw him a bone and let him occupy his time? Give him something to do. I mean, people who've in, who have encountered Belzebub the most are people who are just playing church. They're novice. You know, they're not really sincere. And these are the ones that often Satan goes after that diabolical spirit deal often just just plays games with these people. I think of the charismatic tongues movement, not that I'm knocking speaking in tongues. Don't misunderstand me. I understand the word tongues means languages. They were given the gifts of languages to communicate the gospel. That's the meaning behind the gift. You know, if you were given the gift of healing, you would know what to do with that gift. You would go out and heal people. Well, if you're given the gift of languages, you would know what to do. You would go out and communicate, and there's the word, communicate to people the gospel, and you would talk to them and tell them about Jesus Christ. That's what the gift of tongues was all about. Uh, No gift of the Spirit is self-serving. It's not for the purpose of just feeling good about yourself. So often what you see in this tongues movement that still exists today are people who are speaking maybe in a gibberish that you don't understand, that no one can understand. And if it is a different language, you still can't understand it. You're supposed to have an interpreter there if someone's doing this. That's what your Bible says. And and it's people acting out of character. There's people, you know, acting like a buffoon, jumping church pews, whatever. But, but you know, it's it's not – what I'm saying is it's not of God. It is of a spirit world. I can guarantee you that. Now, I'm not saying that all gifts of the tongues fit into that category. Again, you got to understand the purpose for the gift. It is to communicate the gospel. In other words, if you're in an English-speaking church and the minister speaks English and everybody in the church speaks English and there's no problem with understanding, then there is no need for the gift of tongues. You don't need it. But what I'm saying is, This other thing that you see where you are confused, you don't know what's being said. When you expose yourself to that kind of nonsense, you are in danger. You have encountered the most deeply religious being or one of the most deeply religious beings that ever existed. And that is the dark side. It's not of God is what I'm saying. And you got to discern between the two. 
So just because a person has a deeply religious experience doesn't mean anything. It has to, and, and again, most of these people that say they've had this, they've seen something, they've seen an angel, they've talked to God, whatever, is it doesn't measure up against the Word of God. You've got to understand that there are two deeply religious beings out there. In other words, again, this verse says that these are come across as ministers of righteousness. They have a message. They preach. They are deeply religious. But this is a great deception. And again, I'm dealing with how do you know the difference between the two? How do you know the difference between the two? Jesus addressed this issue. He said, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. You know, true religion is about doing what God says. I don't know how we missed that. I don't know how anybody with three brain cells or five brain cells in their head could, could miss this, that it's about doing the will of God. That's what true religion is. But many will say to me, Matthew 7 and verse 22, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and in your name cast out devils and done many work, wonderful works in your name? Jesus does not deny that they are doing many wonderful works. They're casting out devils, or so it seems. They're doing many wonderful works. They're preaching in Jesus' name. Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Now, the point is, they have a no-law theology. Now, you've heard that in church. I can guarantee you, you've heard that in church. The law has been abolished, been nailed to the cross, has been fulfilled, has been done away with, uh, grace plus nothing. That's a no-law theology. All right, what's that doing in the church when Jesus said, not everyone that says to me, you know, but he that doeth the will of my Father. Well, again, there are two deeply religious spirits out there, and you've got to identify which one you're following. In other words, in this verse where Jesus says, you know, they've done all these religious acts that people are doing, and then Jesus says, I never knew you. They're following God. Get this. They're following God. Yes, they're following what they think is God, but they're following him the wrong way. That's the point. They're following him. They're doing many wonderful works, but they're following him the wrong way. They have a no-law theology. You see, now it's important to understand, number one, how Satan works. And this is what we're going to try to discover here today as we go through this message. We have to identify how Satan works. And the scripture says we're not ignorant of his devices. And I have found that most religious people are ignorant, totally ignorant. They identify the diversions of Satan and they think they've identified how Satan works. And they don't understand that there are two, this is the second point, there are two deeply religious beings. Third, you got to identify the diversions that people follow. And fourth, you got to identify the message that Satan uses to hook people, to deceive people. And we're going to try to identify all four points here. Now, the choices have never been follow God or follow the devil. Now, because, I mean, 
In the Garden of Eden, we're going to go through this, that was not the offer. Follow me. You know, the devil didn't say, hey, follow me or follow God. That's not the offer. Now, I've met people that thought they were following the devil, but what they were following is nothing more than the, the diversions that he puts forth that keeps people in the dark. Satan loves it when people come up with an illusion about the way Satan is and they 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 follow you know they they think they know how Satan works and all it is is just a diversion that keeps them from identifying that there are two deeply religious beings now the serpent in the garden the offer was not follow me or follow god that's too obvious. I mean, uh, you know, it, I mean, it's too far. It's too simple. Uh, of course I'll follow God. That was not the option. The option, well, let's take a look at it here. Genesis 3 and verse 1. Now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, has God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, here, what's going on is the questioning of the issue of obedience. Hey, as God said, you really got to obey God. Do you really have to do this, what God says to do? And let me tell you, religious people have been questioning the issue of obedience for the past 6,000 years, ever since this day. Do I really have to obey God? And there are very few preachers that will tell you, yes, you do. (laughs) I'm telling you, yes, you do. That's what God expects. So Satan comes along and says, do you really have to do, has God said? And the woman said, Genesis 3 and verse 2, said unto the serpent, well, we may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. You know, I don't know if you realize this, but, but Satan is contradicting everything that God had said. And he's putting a religious twist on it. Uh, Not only do you not have to obey God, you don't have to die. Now, this is sort of another story, but the first lie Satan ever told was that you have an immortal soul. Uh, I mean, that's what this is when he says you shall not die. I mean, what is that? That you have something inside of you that's not going to die. That's the first lie Satan ever told. And uh, it seems that Christianity has taken up sides with the, with the devil on this issue because God says, look, you eat of that, you're going to die. Christians say, you're not going to die. You've got an immortal soul living inside of you that lives on. And of course, you know, if you have an immortal soul, why does God need to offer us eternal life? It's redundant. If you already got it, why do you need it? Eternal life. Again, it's redundant, but most people don't think for themselves in that area. But it does seem that Christianity has taken up sides with the devil, and they've agreed with the devil that, okay, you don't have to die. You've got something immortal about you. Genesis 3 and verse 5, For God does know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. This is a new religion. You're going to be smarter than God. Man knows best. Now listen, the choices have never been follow God or follow the devil. The choices have always been follow God the right way or follow God the wrong way. And Satan presents a religious way to follow God the wrong way. 
So what do we have so far? We have, number one, the questioning of the issue of obedience in this newfound religion that Satan is setting up. We have two, not only do you not have to obey God, you don't have to die, and that sounds pretty good. And three, your eyes will be open and you'll actually be smarter than God. Man knows best. A new religion, a new way to worship God. And, you know, the word serpent, like a whisper, enchanter, a magic spell, you know, that he puts over them. I, I don't think Adam and Eve even thought they were disobeying God when they took of that fruit. They had so he had so convinced them that with their new with his new religion that what they were doing wasn't that bad. God had to correct that issue, by the way, and he did. Now, with the temptation of Christ, we see three ways the devil gets to people to follow Christ the wrong way. And the issue is, I want you to follow God. I just want you to follow him the wrong way, is, is his approach. This is his tactic. We are not ignorant of his devices. Well, I'm telling you, one of his devices right now, Satan comes along and says, yeah, I, I want you to think you're following God. I just want you to follow him the wrong way. So we see Satan in the garden setting up his religion. And then with the temptation of Christ in the New Testament, we begin to realize the tactics that he would use to deceive people in this newfound religion that breaks down into many different areas that we're going to go through. Three specifically with, with one, you know, the, the three temptations. I'm going to go through that and look at how, with these temptations, how Satan would set up the tactics that he would use to deceive people. Okay, I want you to follow God. I just want you to follow him the wrong way is his motive, his tactics, one of major tactic that he uses, uses, that is Satan. And again, Jesus addressed this issue when he said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, in your name cast out devils, and in your name done many wonderful works? What is he accusing the people of? What is Jesus saying that the people are doing? Is he saying that they're, that, that they're worshiping the devil? No, they're worshiping God. They're just worshiping him, him the wrong way. Who's the instigator? Who's the mastermind behind this? Who, who is getting people to worship God the wrong? Yes, they're trying to worship God, but they're just worshiping him the wrong way. Who's the mastermind behind this? Well, none other than Beelzebub, Satan, the devil. It is that diabolical spirit world that is deeply religious. All right, let's look at the temptations of Christ here. Number one, Matthew 4 and verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hunger. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If you be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not but live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, here, if you ask, what are we dealing with here? We're dealing with physical appetite. I mean, obviously, Jesus had a physical appetite, and he's saying, look, you're hungry. Command that these stones be made bread. Physical appetite. So the first area of deception that we're going to talk about is a religion that appeases the physical appetites. Now, you might say, well, okay, do we have that today? Well, you better believe it. You know, we could go back in history and talk about temple prostitutes that that were available when you walked up to the temple, a little room off, off to the side, and you could choose between 
uh, sex with a man or a woman, temple prostitutes. And it was a part, what I'm saying is, it was a part of the religious activity. It was a part of the worship of God, temple prostitutes. Now, you might say, well, we don't have that today. Well, no, maybe not, but we have ministers that have been caught with prostitutes. Uh, we have a no-law theology that promotes this physical appetite, that is the satiation of physical appetites. I mean, if there's no law, I mean, there's no law against it, why not do it? What we have today in the area of religion, much of what blankets the teaching is a no-law theology. That it's Again, it's been fulfilled, it's been abolished, it's been done away with, it's been nailed to the cross, grace plus nothing. Just raise your hand and invite Jesus into your heart. We have a no-law theology that promotes the fulfilling of the physical appetites, whatever they may be. And you know, the Bible warns us about this in Jude 1 and verse 7, it says, and I'm reading from a different translation other than the King James, uh, but it says, For some people have slipped in among you unnoticed. They were written about long ago as being deserving of this condemnation because they are ungodly. They turn the grace of our God into uncontrollable lust and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus the Messiah. I think the King James uses the word lasciviousness. But they notice it. They turn the grace of God into uncontrollable lust that is just about physical appetites. Emotional appetites. Here's a religion. A religion that appeases the appetites. Emotional appetites. Uh, self-serving. I've touched on the subject already of speaking in tongues. Again, not against speaking in tongues if you know what it is. It is the gift of languages. But often what you see today is a, 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 a desire to feel good about oneself. I can do this, and it makes me feel so good. I had a woman one time call our church. She asked me about speaking in tongues. And I said, uh, I said, do you understand what you're saying? Oh, no, 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 no. But it makes me feel so good. I just feel so wonderful when I do this. I said, wait a minute. Do you understand what you're saying? Is there somebody to interpret what you're saying? Oh, no, 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 no. I just, I just feel so good. I eventually had to hang up on She got so irate. I mean, she got so upset because I wasn't buying what she was trying to sell me, that tongues is just something that fulfills the emotional appetites. Finally, I had to hang up on this nutty woman. Ego appetites. Yes, there are ego appetites. You know, when I was growing up looking at religion on TV, I couldn't get past the ego. Even though the message might have been decent, often the ego got in the way. You know, you know I think it's John Bradshaw tells a story about he's interviewing a minister and they're in the green room before the, the lights come up and uh, on TV. And they're talking about, they're in the green room, they're talking about fly fishing, they're talking about, you know, hunting, and they're talking just a good, two good old boys, the minister, just a good old boy. The lights come up and the camera start rolling. And John says, well, tell me, Pastor, about your ministry. And he says, well, John, God's been good to me. He totally transformed himself into what he thought was religious talk and behavior. Now, this ego type of stuff happens all the time. But there's, especially true in the ministry, it appeases the ego. Preaching, ministering, all that. Okay, we're talking about 
a religion that appeases the physical appetite. Name it and claim it is another one. Uh, prosperity teaching that God just wants you to have that three-car garage and that BMW, and he just wants to bless you. Now, this is all a religion that appeases the physical appetite is the first, it's the first, you know, the physical appetite was the first temptation of Christ, but I'm saying it's Satan's tactics, one of his tactics for approaching God the wrong way. The choices have never been follow God, follow the devil. The choices have always been follow God the right way or follow God the wrong way. Second one, second temptation. Matthew 4 and verse 5, then the devil takes him up to the holy city and sets him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you be the son of God, cast yourself down for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee. And in their hands, they shall bear thee up lest at any time you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now here, it's, it's important to understand because Jesus was God in the flesh, I think he had to submit to the laws of gravity. I think if he cut himself, he bled. And so this is downright silly, what Satan is presenting here. You know, do something really stupid. Do something really foolish. Jump off the temple and see if God will catch you. Now, you may you may think, okay, I've never met anybody like that, but but I have. I in construction work, I met a contractor who would set up this rickety scaffolding, rot it boards, and his attitude was, well, God, God will take care of me, and I think he might even quoted this verse. You know, he'll catch you if you fall. Yeah, I bet he will. Listen, God will not do for you what you can do for yourself. If you're stupid, God's not going to protect you, bottom line. Okay, the second one is what I call the tactic that Satan uses, is tempting God with silly, stupid, meaningless religion. Now, how do I know this is true? Well, I watch religion on TV sometimes. You know, you've got the faith healers knocking people upside the head. You ever thought about, you know, the truth of the matter is, the reason you don't see faith healers in hospitals is the same reason you don't see psychics winning the lottery. Uh, You know, you just don't see these people in hospitals, but you see them on TV. Why is that? If they really have the gift of healing, why are they not going where sick people are at? Like old folks' homes and hospitals and clean those places up. Yeah, heal them all if you really have this power. But it's, it's um, you know, you got to understand that there are two deeply religious spirit beings out there. God, which is on the good side, the light side, and Satan, which is the dark side. But they're both deeply religious. Uh, tempting God with silly, stupid, meaningless religion, spirit of laughter. You ever seen that? Look it up on YouTube, spirit of laughter. You know, I can guarantee you what spirit that is. Again, tongues, not, not that it, all of it's bad. It's the gift of languages, what it really is. But much of what you see in the tongues move it, movement, it is a spirit. But you've got to identify what spirit it's from. Did you ever hear that? I remember reading a report about tongues back in the 70s when the charismatic movement was, was big. 
they sent some bilingual people to these churches and that could interpret different languages. And and, and they came back and said, yeah, in some cases it was a language. They were actually speaking a language. No one understood what what was being said, but these people did, the, the bilingual people that could interpret different languages. And they said that in many cases what they were saying was the most vile filth they had ever heard coming out of a mouth of a person. They were cursing, cursing God. Now, what spirit is that? Well, you know what spirit that is. Now, am I saying all of it's like that? No. I'm saying if you have the gift of tongues, it's for the purpose of communicating the gospel. It is, you know, I speak the English tongue. You speak the English tongue, or maybe, or whatever. But it is a language. So what I'm saying is God is not the author of confusion. He's not the author of silly, stupid, meaningless religion. You know, send me your seed donation, and and, uh, I'll send you a popsicle stick shaped like a cross dipped in holy water. Now, my point is, it works. You believe me, it works. It works very well. This is Satan's second tactic that he uses. And I think most people don't know that you're tempting God with this nonsense. This buffoonish type of emotional, silly, irrelevant, no message about repentance, no message about you know, turn your life to God and change, receive the Holy Spirit of God. None of that. It's just meaningless, stupid, silly religion. And this is one of Satan's tactics. Again, the choices have never been follow God, follow the devil. The choices have always been follow God the right way or follow God the wrong way. The third temptation. Again, the devil takes him up into an exceeding high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then said Jesus to him, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord thy God and him only shall you serve. Now, I think, you know, I mentioned that it's not about worshiping the devil Now, I do believe that this offer was made to Jesus. Now, let me explain it. In other words, Satan knew what Jesus was up against, that he would more than likely offer his life and go through it with a sin offering, giving his life for mankind. And I guess knowing what was at stake, Satan offers this. You know, if you worship me, I'll give you everything. Yes, But for us human beings, Satan does not say, worship me. You know, the deal he offers is, I want you to worship God. I just want you to worship him the wrong way. That's the deception, you see. He's a great deceiver. He's a great liar. That's how he works. I mean, besides, who really wants to worship Satan? You read the book of Job, and you hear about what happened to his family, his children, his home, his property. You know, Satan comes in there and wipes it all out. Well, who wants to worship someone like that? No, no, that's not his tactic. His his tactic is not, come worship me. His tactic has always been, I want you to worship God. I just want you to worship him the wrong way. So the third tactic here is all these things I will give you. It is what I call the prosperity doctrine that is teached today. 
three-car garage, BMW, motorboat, you know, second home, whatever. I mean, just, you know, God wants to bless you. God just, just he's nothing more than a blessing machine. All these things I will give you if you worship him. Now, it's true, God says, if you will hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God, all these blessings shall come upon you. Yeah, but if you will hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God, it's conditional. And besides, this verse I'm quoting in Deuteronomy is a it's a reference to a national blessing that if us as a nation would turn to God and do what God says, then there are blessings that come with that. So we understand that. But so, but my point is, if if you are Satan, you build a religion around the idea God just wants to bless you. He just wants you to have all these things. Now, does it work? Well, you better believe it works. It fills churches Sunday morning 10,000 strong. It works. Believe me, it works. This prosperity, motivational type of, of, of teaching and preaching where preachers just, it's, it's all about, you know, these blessings that God just wants you to have. It's not really about unconditional surrender to God. It's not really about repentance. It's not really about turning to God. Repenting of your sin, sin is the breaking of God's law. It's not really about that. It's just God wants to bless you. Again, the choices have never been follow God or follow the devil. The choices have always been follow God the right way or follow him the wrong way. So what we've gone through so far is, number one, the questioning in the garden. We find the questioning, the issue of obedience. As we look at this new religion that Satan would build, It starts out with the questioning in the garden of the issue of obedience. Then we have, well, not only do you not have to obey God, you don't have to die. And then we have the third one, your eyes shall be open and you'll be smarter than God. God knows best, man knows best, excuse me. This this new religion, this new way of worshiping God. And then we find that there are three tactics that Satan uses to sell his religion. A religion that appeases the physical appetite, number one. Two, a religion that is silly, stupid, meaningless. Three, a religion where God will give you all these things, prosperity, doctrine. And so now let me talk a little bit about the diversions that are out there. You know, I mentioned the diversions of a seance and Harry Potter books and all this stuff. Scary things, exorcist uh, movies, scary movies. All of this is just a diversion that keeps people from really seeing how Satan works. And most people only focus on that area. I can imagine that Satan gets a kick out of this. You know, Satan might say, do you really think, you know, a couple brain dead teenagers playing with a Ouija board, do you really think a board game is the way you can contact me? I'm now, am I saying go out and buy a Ouija board? Of course I'm not. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that's all of that is a diversion. It's not the way Satan really works. Or, you know, one time I can remember long ago that religious people getting all upset about Harry Potter books. And I imagine Satan would say, do you really think I'm a magician going, going around doing magical things? Is that how you think I really am? And, and a lot of people would say, yes, that's how you are. So what I'm saying is all of these things are diversions that people, that, that, that Satan uses so that you'll never see how he really works, that he is a deeply, how he really works is he's deeply religious. 
and he sells a false religion to people. He convinces people that they're worshiping God. In reality, they, they're worshiping God the wrong way. That's what he's a master at. That's the, the deception. That's the lie. In Revelation 12 and verse 9, it says, And that great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now, how does this being, notice, it says he deceives the whole world. How does this being deceive the whole world? Well, a lot of people, again, would begin to focus on the diversions. They would say, well, just look at all the evil in the world if you want to see how Satan works. You see, the problem with that is this. I think mankind has the proclivity for evil without any help from the devil. I think a man can beat his wife, commit adultery, murder, rape, and steal without any help from from the devil whatsoever. In other words, when God said in Genesis 6 and verse 5, he said, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil continually, I think what that verse is talking about is human evil in and of itself. You you have to realize this this potential of human evil. In fact, when we talk about salvation, we're talking about being saved from our great potential of evil, that we have it within ourselves to do some awful things, really terrible things. In fact, Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 3 says, There is an evil among all things that are done under the sun, that there is one event unto all. Yea, also the hearts of the sons of men is full of evil, and madness is in their heart while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. What's this verse telling us? Well, it tells us of our potential of human evil in and of itself. It is full of evil, and madness is in their hearts. You see, satanic evil is rooted in religion. It's deception. It's the lie. On the surface, it looks good. But that's the deception. Revelation 13 and verse 8. And all they that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose name, speaking of Satan, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. You know, we come down to the end time, and there's only two groups of people. There's two religions that exist. You know, you're going to have, I mean, this is a powerful scripture that says all of humanity are going to worship Satan with the exception of those who have their names written in the Lamb's book of life. Okay? The calling, the first fruits, the elect, they're not going to be worshiping Satan, but all the rest will. The rest of humanity will be worshiping Satan. You see, you got to understand, there's two religions. Now, the question is, how will they worship the devil? Does this mean that when this time comes, everybody will have a Harry Potter book on their uh, coffee table? That the Gideons, instead of putting the Bibles in the um, motels, they'll put Harry Potter books. Does this mean that Everybody will wear a symbol of Satan around his neck. Uh, does this mean that, you know, children, their entertainment will be seances and, and, and Ouija boards? Uh, all homes will have a Ouija board, whatever. Is that, is that what this is talking about? No, that, that doesn't even come close. That do, that's the diversion that I'm talking about. 
No, the way they worship him is with their religion because there are two deeply religious beings out there. And the deception is they think they're worshiping God with their religion. That's the deception. That's the lie. Now, Isaiah 8 and verse 20 says, To the law and testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Here we come back to what Jesus said. You know, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father. Here we come back to the doing part. And this verse says, to the law and testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. That's a good way to judge a minister. That's a good way to judge your church. If they're not speaking according to the law and testimony, there's no light in them. It doesn't say there's a little bit of light. It just says there's no light in them. Now, it's going to be hard for you as a human being to hear a preacher who gets up maybe on Sunday morning and says, the law's been abolished. It's been nailed to the cross. It's been fulfilled. It, it's going to be hard for you to say that person, that, that human being is under a diabolical spirit, is being motivated with a false teaching, a false religion that originated in the garden with Satan, that has illustrated his tactics, that is illustrated through the temptations of Christ. It's going to be hard for you to say that person is under a diabolical spirit because people are so nice. Your your preacher, you know, I mean, hey man, he's so nice. He, he's just a nice man, and I really enjoy him. You know, and again, this I think of the word Satan, the serpent, this whisper, this enchanter, this this magic spell that he puts over people. But he's so nice. I mean, that's probably what Adam and Eve said about Satan. But he's so nice. He's just. It's just nice. I mean, this being is so nice, and, and my preacher is so nice. In Second Corinthians 11 and verse 3, it says, But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. I mean, here Paul comes back to the original garden experience, and he, he says, As the serpent tricked Eve through his subtlety, I don't want you to be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And let me tell you about the simplicity that is in Christ. It is Jesus became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. That's the simplicity that is in Christ. It's the same message that was in the garden. The issue has always been about whether God will obey God or not. And it's still the issue today. Will you? Obey and do what God tells you to do. The choices have never been follow God or follow the devil. The choices have always been about two religious ways to follow God. The right religious way to follow God or the wrong religious way to follow God. For more information, check us out online at isthatreallyinthebible.net. Listen to the podcast. Watch the weekly program. Worship with us on our weekly Sabbath service and be sure to visit our free bookstore. Again, the website is isthatreallyinthebible.net.